Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader, and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview photographer Hannah Kaminsky in San Francisco. Hannah works with top food publications and manufacturers across the US, creating photographs for the glossy pages of magazines, cookbooks, and product packaging. She's also the author of the books My Sweet Vegan, Vegan Desserts, Vegan a la Mode, Easy as Vegan Pie, and the upcoming title Real Food Really Fast. Working independently for over a decade has provided her with professional experience in all aspects of a photography project from start to finish. This includes cooking and styling, as well as the capturing and editing of each image with her own signature style. Her latest recipe creations, photos and musings can be found on her Bittersweet blog. In this interview, Hannah discusses Mistakes vegan business owners make when taking their own photos. The three things that make a good photo. Lighting tips for taking a great photo and why you should mostly avoid flash. The benefits and disadvantages of photo filter apps. What to look for when hiring a professional photographer. Latest trends in photography. The one thing that's more valuable for new photographers than working for free. The best ways for photographers to attract clients and much more. Here's the interview with Hannah Kaminsky. Hello, Hannah. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. So the first question I always ask, I I don't vary in all the episodes I've done to date, I always ask people what's their why. So you run a a photography business, so tell us your why. Why do you do what you do? Well, I've always been a visual learner, so I've just been drawn to the medium naturally, and I've always wanted to share what I see and what I think. And as I failed as an artist drawing and painting, I just found photography so much more satisfying and I was able to express myself more clearly. Fantastic, fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about photography and because, you know, nowadays it's almost like everyone's a photographer because, you know, we've got these smartphones and we can snap photos with. But obviously, you know, taking professional photos is is quite different. So can you sort of just give us a few little tips? So tell us, first of all, why is it important for vegan business owners to have good photographs, both of themselves and if they've got products of their products as well? There's such a proliferation of social media and with Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, everyone wants to see photos of everything. And the language of photography is universal. So you can just instantly convey what you are about, what you are making, what you're sharing with a single photo. So it's really important for people to know exactly what the brand is about. And for portraits, it's really helpful for followers, fans to see that there are real people behind these companies and it's not just a soulless corporation trying to sell whatever they are selling. Oh, fantastic. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. I say that to people all the time. They kind of try and hide behind their about page, you know, just with some text. And, and you're right, you know, people mm. do want to see um, what you look like. So I'm really glad that you, you brought that up as well. So, and it's also it good be for personal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's also good for media as well, you know, like, especially having like the high resolution photos for print. So you've just kind of got those ready to, to go, um, which is, a, yeah, another reason for hiring someone such as you yourself so tell us then what what do you see like you say you're on social media quite a bit what what are some of the mistakes that businesses make business owners make when it comes to photos definitely neglecting the photos so just thinking that they can take a quick snapshot with their phone and not really having a photography background or design background and everything turns out dark and sort of dingy (laughs) looking really unappealing or just messy 
I mean, you can have lots of photos and quantity is one thing, but quality is an entirely different one. And I would always, always aim for quality over quantity. And for followers, too, they don't want just all the spam in their feed. They will unfollow quickly. Got it. Got it. So what makes a good photo? Like in terms of the elements of a, of a photo, what, what makes a good or a great photo? It really comes down to three essential things. Um, a decent equipment. And in this day and age, most camera phones are fairly well equipped. I mean, my camera phone is 12 megapixels, which is not bad. I mean, compared to what it was in the past, I had a mentor for a while who started shooting on a four megapixel camera, and I believe he had one of those photos blown up to be a billboard in Times Square. Wow. So, okay. yeah, you've got a lot of technology and power at your hand. Um, beyond that, you need a pretty subject. I mean, if it's not an appealing dish in the first place, hard to really get around that. And then the last thing, light. Light is everything. I mean, the camera phone or the camera won't pick up a good photo if there's not light, no matter what it is. And it doesn't matter how nicely you styled it if no one can see it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, that's a, a good point. And I'm laughing because basically, I whenever I take, like if I'm in a restaurant, you know, or because I don't really make food, I must admit. So, you know, or if someone's made me dinner, or I'm in a restaurant, I think, right, it's a delicious looking vegan dish. I must take a photo of it. So I whip my phone out, and my photos of food turn out absolutely rubbish. <laughs> so that's oh why I, man, I <laughs> the same with me. It's not just you. I mean, it's the setting that makes all the difference there. It's so hard to take photos in restaurants because they all have romantic lighting which yes. drives me crazy <laughs> oh, even oh. in like broad daylight they'll have the lights cut to nothing oh i'm glad you said that i'm glad it's not me because every time i take it it looks so appealing on the plate and i think brilliant i'm going to take this and share it on social media so people can see how delicious vegan food is and then i take it and sometimes the flash might go off sometimes it doesn't and the, or you know if it's not on the coloring's not going out and i think oh i'm not doing the vegan cause any good you know by by sharing this no food. no it's not just you and i gotta say also Flash never, never helps. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Particularly with yeah. food or with people as well? For everything. Um, yeah. Unless it's off the camera, it's the direct flash. It just flattens everything out and makes everything look washed out. Oh, cool. Oh, that's good to know. So it is better to have that however you can, some kind of natural light if you're going to take photos mm -hmm. rather than resort to flash. Okay, that's a, a good tip. That's a very, very good yeah. tip. Yeah. Cool. The key really is not even the source so much as the direction. So ideally you want to have the light behind or to the side of the subject so you create dimension and texture. You're raking the light across it rather than blasting it with the light. Okay. Oh, this is good. These are really good tips. Thank you. This is fantastic. And what are your thoughts then on photo editing apps? Because obviously we've got Instagram and it's got its various filters and that can certainly, you know, lighten a photo up, for example. So what are your thoughts on these as a professional photographer? Like what are the benefits and what are the disadvantages? Well, I find that the filters by and large are like using the auto setting on your camera. It's super handy if you're just getting started, you're not really sure how to use all the functions, and it'll give you decent results pretty quickly. But once you get to know what you're doing, you can better express your vision and better control the output when you go through the proper steps of editing and can pick it apart piece by piece. Um, also, it's really easy to make things look over-processed when you just hit one and done button of whatever it is you're doing. So I'm not a big fan personally. Got it, got it. So when you say so, when you say like do the editing properly, you mean like using tools like Photoshop or something kind of more high end. If you if you exactly have to. Photoshop is yeah the industry standard, and I know it's not an easy program to break into. It's like yeah. you learn one thing, and you just go down the rabbit hole, and you never stop learning. I'm still learning. Exactly, exactly, and I suppose that that's one of the benefits, obviously, of using a professional photographer such as yourself. Now, obviously, for day to day like social use, then you know sometimes I guess business owners, you know, do the best they can with with the phones and the filters, like you mentioned. But you know, obviously, if you're going to be sending out um, uh, pictures of products that are then going to appear in the media say in magazines and stuff and I know you, you work for magazines we'll talk a little bit about that but um so can you tell us then what should people or what are the benefits of working with a photographer such as yourself like a professional 
at the end of the day, it's about expertise and ability to deliver, um, getting a really polished end result and being able to turn things around on a deadline. And I know that by and large, it's really difficult to get professional photography done very quickly. But since I like to think of myself as the whole package, I do the styling, the photography, the Photoshop, you know, the cooking, the cleaning, everything. <laughs> I can move much faster than most people. Wow, right, right. And is that just mainly, I wanted to check with you, like, is that with mainly food or does that include people as well? So, like, would you, do you mainly just style food or does that include people too? Um, well, I don't do styling for people in terms of, like, makeup and wardrobe. Right. But I still do all of the other steps. Right, so make sure I like the I, I don't typically work with this assistant. Okay, got it, got it. All right, cool. So th- what should people look for then cause when they're choosing a photographer? Because like we mentioned earlier, you know, there's a lot of people out there maybe saying, oh, yeah, I'm a photographer, but they're, they're not necessarily. Mm. So what should people look out for with their, with their deciding whether or not to hire somebody? Yeah, there is really an overwhelming number of options to choose from these days, especially if you're in a big city and looking for someone local. Um, everyone's a photographer, but it all comes down to the portfolio. It doesn't matter about people's degrees or all of their accolades. If you're on their website and you don't like the photos, you're not going to like what you get. End of story. Right. Got it. Got it. Are there any other things? So, and that's great. That's, that's really good advice, and that makes total sense. Are there anything else to look out for other than the portfolio? Or is that literally the main thing? Like if they've got a great portfolio, boom, that's it. Or are there any other uh, things they should look out for? I can't say there are any red flags right off the bat. Definitely reach out to them and check to see if their attitude and their perspective is aligned with your own. Make sure you really want to work with these people. If you want, you can hunt around to get recommendations. The nice thing about the community is that even though a lot of photographers are in competition with each other, being that there are so many and there are only so many jobs, we're all pretty friendly and we will recommend each other and you know, especially if we don't have time or we aren't given projects that fit our expertise, we will help share and tell others where to get the best help. Fantastic, fantastic. And I guess that makes sense with something like photography. It is quite a, like you've got to be there physically, obviously, to to do it. So I can imagine that that's useful if, you know, if you're someone that's on the East Coast and you're in San Francisco, um, you can give those recommendations. So that's that's good. But also to that end, um, I do work with a lot of people who aren't even in the country uh, for product photography. It's kind of a funny system that I've worked out. I shoot things in my studio. And then, well, we set up in time in advance, so the client knows when I will be shooting, and they'll be at the computer waiting and checking. And I'll send them a PDF proof sheet of my best picks, what I think is, you know, aligned with what they asked for and what I think is looking good, a lot of different options, angles, styling options. And um, so I'll send that to them, and they'll let me know, yes, this is perfect, or no, could you move the salt shaker? Or no, I don't really like the knife there. Or whatever it is. And I can go back and reshoot. And we keep going until they see something they like. And we say, we're done. And then I edit and they get their photos. Ah, okay, so those will be for certain types of photos, I guess. Because obviously, obviously you can't do it with a person. But obviously, like if it was, their, say, their own products, for example, then I guess you would either have to have those shipped to you in order for you to be mm-hmm. able to, to do it. Or, so are these more kind of uh, almost like generic kind of like food style pics? Is that right? No, no, I wouldn't say they're generic. They're all totally customized and specified to whatever they need. And I also do this for cookbooks and magazines. So I will cook the recipes and make sure they look right for whatever they were going for. And, you know, same procedure. Wow. Okay. So that's pretty cool that you cook the recipes as well. You're obviously a a woman of many talents, which is great. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. And I feel like it's really, you know, invigorating. And I don't get too stuck in one thing because I hate doing the same thing day in and day out. And this keeps me inspired that I can sort of multitask and diversify this way. 
Got it, got it. Now, are there differences then between photographing people versus products? So what are the various things to take into account with each and any particular differences between different products? So if you were shooting, say, fashion or shoes versus food? Oh, my gosh. It's like night and day. It's su- such different um, venues. Most people don't do both. And I do very little for people. But, um, gosh, people are hard to work with. I much prefer (laughs) food and product because it doesn't move. It doesn't talk back. (laughs) It doesn't get self-conscious. You know, with people, you really need to have really good communication skills and be able to coach them because it's so much more about posing. Whereas styling, you can just push things and put things places. But people, you need to have a whole different level of finesse. That's very true. And I was thinking when you, you mentioned that earlier about people, it's actually quite an intimate process being photographed. So when you're perhaps you know, thinking of choosing a photographer, it, it's important, obviously, as well, like you said, they've got a great portfolio. But like you said, just kind of making sure they've got that right attitude and that you're comfortable working with them. Because, you know, especially when that camera is kind of, you know, I, I know I've had like, headshots done in the past. You know, the camera is kind of quite there and it's just you and the photographer. Um, and it, it is quite an, an, an intimate thing. So, um, yeah, thank you for, for sharing. That. So, what are, are there any particular um, trends in photography at the moment? So, I know you know Instagram's obviously you know kind of been very popular with all the kind of the cool filters and what have you. Are there any? Are you seeing any kind of particular trends in photography at the moment that are maybe Definitely. relevant to business owners? Yeah. Um, well, what's trendy but always relevant, I think, is simplicity. Less is more. Um, very very simple sets where it's pretty much the food, maybe a plate, maybe a fork and a knife. I mean, nothing extra as far as propping goes. Like, I absolutely cannot stand props that have nothing to do with the dish. I mean, it drives me crazy when I see, I don't know, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and then they've got a deck of cards on the table. Like, what is the story here? Maybe there is a story, and it makes sense. But if it's just for a product... What are you trying to tell me? I have no clue. Um, so, you know, don't confuse people by throwing too much in there just to fill the space. That's a really and, good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, it's like cutting down on the spam, cutting down on the filler, get to the point. And, I mean, just simple props, very clean settings, um, not even, I wouldn't say not gold colors, but more earthy colors, more natural colors, um, rustic surfaces, sort of worn wood for sure. It's a big one. Right, right. Um, it's interesting you say that. I just recently interviewed an uh, interior vegan interior designer in LA, and uh, she was saying something similar about the kinds of materials that, like, that she works with, like kind of the wood or metallics, that kind of earthy, natural thing. So I guess that's obviously a, a bit of a trend at the moment, which is, Yeah, I I find that it's more familiar and comforting because if you put something just on white, it looks sterile and alien and people don't know where it is and they can't place it. It has no context. If you put it on wood, it's like, oh, this is like this is home or this is at a picnic. It just makes sense. What about with headshots, Hannah? I was thinking, because like, I know whenever I've had headshots, you know, they're, they're usually like uh, they're kind of, you know, like actor headshots or, you know, the kind of standard things that the, the business owners have. And they've generally always been on like in a studio and with that white background. Is it OK for people mm. or do you think even with people you need something else behind you in the background? I mean, it's OK, but then when it's on white, I think of it as treating people like products. I mean, that's really a marketing piece. But I much prefer to have people outside. I feel like the natural light is really flattering and beautiful. And you get the nice greens of like grass or the the light filtering through the trees, the blue of the sky. There's just much more color and texture there. Right. And then you can weave your magic 
afterwards in the Photoshop if required. <laughs> I know. Right. It's funny, I'm only I laughing like because having... <laughs> I'm not a big fan of natural. I always worry with natural light, I'm not going to look great. Whereas, you know, sometimes someone will take a photo of me with a flash and the flash almost acts like a natural Photoshop. And I think, oh, I look quite nice with that. So that's why I'm kind of laughing well, when you're saying natural light. A good photographer <laughs> should be able to balance it out or use both to really bring out the best parts of each. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but I also feel like environmental portraits are really wonderful because then you get a sense of who this person is in their natural setting. So if someone is a cook, then I like to have them in the kitchen. Or if someone, you know, is a crafter, having them at their studio, you know, just really showing what they do. And they're also more comfortable when they're in their own elements. Got it. Now, that makes sense, actually, and that does make sense. So we talked a little bit about um, how you work with clients. Like you've mentioned, even if, if you're not in the same city or the same locale, you can you get a brief from a client and then you set the whole thing up in your studio and, and you you know make even make the the food products and photograph them um so what about when someone is in your like like do you also go to people's place of work like people's businesses to do uh, shoots there like if they've got products and stuff do you also go to their place there and i wonder if you could just sort of talk through how how it all works from you know beginning and getting the brief through to final delivery Absolutely. Um, it's mostly with restaurant photography that I do that. If there's a chef and I would go to their kitchen, their place of work, and it really helps also to get more environmental shots to show the interior, the dining room, the kitchen, and show it on their plates with their finishes the way that it is actually served. But it's pretty much the same general setup as I would for any other shoot. I might bring my laptop so we can look at the photos on a bigger screen together and they tell me as I'm working what they like, what they don't like, what they want to emphasize, but it's all pretty low-key and easy. I mean, no pressure anywhere. Got it. And you take your own lighting with you would, to places like that, would you? Just make sure that you've got yes. the lighting that you want. Yeah. yeah, got it, got it. And even then, I, I do very little with um, artificial light. I tend to use window light whenever possible. And I accentuate that with mirrors to bounce it and make it much softer than just a harsh flash. Oh, nice, nice. Got it, got it. Now, you mentioned that you, you do some work for, for magazines. I know you've been featured in, in uh, publications like Veg News and Lyco, which is a beautiful uh, vegan magazine. So how did you get into doing that? Oh, gosh, it's been so long. It's hard to remember where it began. Ah. <laughs> uh, I think that, well, with Veg News, I remember Veg News was my first publication, and I was a very new author with um, My Sweet Vegan, my first cookbook, and I asked them for the opportunity to have just like a one-off article column on some dessert recipes, and for a little while, I was a regular contributor at that point with the My Sweet Vegan column. And then that transitioned into just more photography. Okay, right, right. And what about Leica? Um, it must have been more word of mouth. I don't remember, actually. <laughs> That's all right. That's cool. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how you, or how does it work in terms of copyright and licensing? Because I know this is a big thing, you know, particularly with photos, you know, people mm. grabbing pictures off the internet and thinking that they can use them in their blog post or their social media and basically, you know, steal, maybe not intentionally because they're just perhaps ignorant about it. So how does it work in terms of someone hires you to, say, do a shoot? Um, how does it work in terms of, like, do you own the copyright? Do you license it to them? Do they own the copyright? Can you talk to us a little bit about how that works, Hannah? Okay, that is a complicated question. Um, when I'm doing a professional shoot and it is paid for by a client, they are paying for the usage. I will always retain the copyright, and every photographer should always, always retain their copyright and always get this in writing, always have contracts. You can download a basic boilerplate that you can, you know, alter to your specifications online. Very simple for every job. Um, only in very rare cases with very high-end clients will you sell the copyright and do not part with that cheaply. That is worth, you know, its weight in gold. 
Okay. So when you say that they're paying for usage, so what kind of usage does it give them? Like they can basically use it however they want in terms of promoting their their business. Is that right? No, it depends on the situation. And you will charge more depending on how widely they are granted the freedoms. So for web usage, it's one price. For print, it's another and distribution makes a difference, whether it's just within the U.S. or if it's worldwide. You know, it, all the variables add up. Okay. And you need to bill accordingly. Got it, got it. So when a photographer owns the copyright, so that also means then that, that, that you can use the images you've done for that client however you want to as well. Also depends on the contract. It typically, I mean... I I don't like to reuse things that I've licensed out just personally. I feel like they have that privilege that they can enjoy it exclusively, but I could legally use it however I wanted. Um, In many cases in the contract, there will be terms that say it cannot be reused within one year of print or two years of print or whatever it is. Okay, got it. But you could use it, say, on your website to showcase, for example, like to showcase as part of your portfolio. Yeah, got it, got it. Thanks for for clearing that up. That's good to know. So how do you go about protecting your work? Um, Because like I mentioned, it's just kind of so easy to, you know, I know a lot of photographers have been burned by this. They kind of find their images Mm -hmm. popping up in all these places that they haven't been licensed to. So how do you go about protecting your creative work? It's really challenging. It's kind of like a game of whack-a-mole. I mean, if you start going after people who take your, That's not your very photos, it will never stop. It never ends. Right. I mean, the best that I can do when I do photos for myself and publish them on my blog, I watermark them. And I know that's very little protection because people can just crop it out. Very easy. Um You You have to hope that people are generally honest and good and when you find things in improper places and used the wrong ways you just have to reach out to them be very cordial and say hey i'm glad you like my work so much i'm very flattered i would appreciate if you didn't reuse it like this or if you like it so much i'd be happy to license it to you for this fee and i mean if again they're decent people they will respond accordingly and if not you say well i would like you to speak with my lawyer you know, there's not much use you can do. Yeah, and I, I like that. I like the way you begin with something, uh, like you say, warm and cordial. And I know I've experienced that with, with web copy, um, where someone literally took a whole chunk of my partner's website and, like, used the copy on their site. And when we, you know, sort of sent out a polite email, you know, she was, like, kind of horrified. And it turned out her web developer people had done this, um, you know, and she apologized profusely and, and took it down. So I think it's nice that you kind of assume the best to begin with. But, yeah, if they're still not playing ball or it's obvious that they're, you know, they, they are ripping you off that you've got that kind of cease and desist um to yeah. go with cool so when you because you've been working for a, as a photographer for, for some time now so what were some of your challenges when you kind of first started out uh, running a, a professional photography business well the challenge is just starting i mean getting your foot in the door getting your name out there getting your first jobs really tough it's really about building contacts and Getting out into the real, real world, meeting people, uh, finding your niche, developing your voice. Got it. And what are, what are your terms or what are your thoughts rather on the whole working for free to begin with, you know, to get the quote exposure? And again, I, this is something I can certainly relate to as a writer. Like when you're starting out, you know, there's one school of thought is right. Just, you know, go and do a whole bunch of stuff for free just to kind of get your portfolio built up, get get make a name for yourself. Um, but then there's also I, I think we can see now that a lot of people devalue creative services and, and kind of think that they can get it either free or very cheap so what are your thoughts on that say particularly if someone's starting out like a photographer or other creative should they work for free for a certain period of time Hmm. well I think it's really going to depend on your personal situation that's definitely that is what I did when I started out I did a lot of work for free also starting as a blogger I didn't think of these things as work and a lot of them were you know, food reviews. So they would say, we'll send you food. And I would just take pictures of it and review it. And they would say, oh, we love the photos. Can we reuse it? It'd be 
flattered. So, of course. But um, I think that more valuable is if you could get an apprenticeship or if you could be an assistant with an established photographer. So you get real hands-on experience and then instant access basically to their personal Rolodex when they get jobs that they can't fulfill or they don't think are high enough paying, it would still be quite um, generous to give to someone starting out and they will help you. Mm. So try to get connected with the community and find other photographers that you can learn from. That's a really great tip. That's a really great idea. And it's a real win-win as well. So I I really like that. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, An extra set of hands is always wonderful for anyone. I mean, even if you are there washing the dishes, you can still pick up a lot of tips. Yes. Yeah. No, that's great. That's that's really good. What about then as you've grown as a business? So, you know, you've kind of established yourself now and like you say, you've had word of mouth referrals. So what are you what would you say your kind of your challenges are now that you've grown as a business? It's really the same challenges, just getting consistent work, getting high quality work, finding the right brands to partner with. I mean, I'm lucky that I've found such great people in the community, in the vegan community as well, that I've been able to keep that going pretty well. So what percentage approximately would you say of your clients seek you out because you're a vegan photographer compared with non-vegans who just love your work? Hmm. It's really hard to say. Um, I would say that, oh gosh, a lot of the people that are drawn to my work are already in like the natural products field or looking for something more along those lines. They see what I've done in the past and they they find me by those keywords, but I wouldn't say they're necessarily vegan. Okay, okay, got it. When you mentioned that they find you by keywords, so I presume you mean online. So let's talk a right. little bit, then we'll jump to the, the question about which I, another one I ask everyone is about your choice of how much or whether to use the word vegan in your branding and marketing materials. And I know that you've got a, a blog um, that you've touched mm-hmm. on, and we'll talk a little bit um, about that in a moment as well. But with your photography business, like it's hannahkaminsky.com. And um, so ha- tell us a little bit about your choice of um, how much to use the word vegan in your marketing and your branding. I don't use the word vegan in my marketing. Um, in my blog, I might mention that something is vegan, you know, just offhandedly, but I never, you know, position myself as the vegan photographer or the vegan recipe developer or what have you. Because at the end of the day, I just make great food or I just make beautiful photos. They happen to be vegan. It's like a side effect of what I do. <laughs> Got it. So even with that kind of sprinkling of the use of the word vegan, you find that people are finding you using. So if they did type in vegan photographer, you would still come up because you've got a certain amount in, of, of the word vegan on your site. Is that right? Right. It's just, you know, embedded into what I do. Got it. It isn't the, the point of what I do, but it is what I do. Yeah. No, got it. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, it does. It does for sure. So what what sort of current what marketing strategies do you use as a photographer? What have you found to be the most effective? So as you've gone from starting out, you mentioned word of mouth, which was one. Are there any other mm-hmm. marketing strategies you've used to grow your business? Okay, well, I'll tell you what doesn't work. Um, direct mailers. I tried for quite a while to do, you know, flyers or postcards and I'd reach out to businesses that I like, they're nearby, that I feel like could use some help with their branding or are starting out, I don't see photos on their website yet. Nothing. Really? Never any response. And it costs money. So that was just such a disappointment. Right. Um, yeah. Direct emails, also very hit and miss. I would say of 100 emails I send out that are personalized, not just, you know, a mass mailer because that's useless. But very direct. I like what you're doing. I know your product. I know you. I would get a response from maybe 10% and maybe a job from 4%, 5%. Very, very little. Mm. Um, it's more about, if you can, going to events that are relevant to what you do. Um, food 
you know, for me, food, um, trade shows, uh, restaurants, just eating out, being able to speak with the chef, um, things like that, making those personal contacts, being able to, you know, show them that you're a real person. They'll think of you first when they're thinking of someone they want to work with. Right. Got it. No, it's, it's much more real than just an email or just a postcard. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. It's interesting what you say about with, with direct mail because it can, it, I think there was certainly a thing, maybe it was about a year ago, where a lot of the marketers were saying offline, you know, these kind of direct mail, like physical through the post things are actually kind of, they've become popular again because everybody's been saturated with email. But I guess it depends on the, the type of business that you're, you're running, for example. So it's interesting to hear that from you. And like you say, it is much more of an investment, you know, particularly it's full color mm-hmm. printing and stuff so no i appreciate you you sharing that that's that's cool what about with veg fest like you know some businesses go there and they maybe take a table or a stall or a booth is that something you've done as a photographer or, or not really or maybe even volunteering at a festival to take photos and to get your portfolio up is, is that the sort of thing you might recommend hannah or not oh yeah i do definitely um volunteer to take photos at events very often um it's a lot of fun and you know, side bonus, you get to get in for free. Um, <laughs> but I would never really take a table because I feel like you need to be selling something. Whereas I don't have prints or, you know, an actual, you know, physical product that I would be selling. Okay. Got it just it. wouldn't be worth the investment or time. Got it. Got it. What social media platforms are you most active on and that you find are, are most successful for your business? I'm guessing the visual ones such as Instagram or Pinterest make, make sense. Is that right? Yeah. So the funny thing is um, I do Instagram all the time, but I am not actually active on Pinterest. People pin my work, but I'm not contributing. Oh, Okay. And is that because it just yeah. it doesn't make sense as a business model for you to be on Pinterest? Yeah, I find that it really doesn't help me as a photographer. Maybe as a blogger, it might be more beneficial, but um, I'm not getting enough, you know, actual tangible results from it. And I'm just on social media saturation. There's only so much I can do, so many platforms I can moderate at once, and. I don't want to be staring at my phone or sitting at my computer all day. Got it, got it. So when you're taking, I'm just curious with Instagram, because obviously you use a professional camera to take the photo. So is it kind of clunky to get it off that professional camera onto your phone in order to then post it on Instagram? Ah, so that's the secret. (laughs) I don't post my real professional photos on Instagram. I take quick camera photo snapshots at the same time. Okay. So then I don't have to worry about the legal liabilities if someone decides to list that. And I don't have to worry about, you know, all of the hassle of editing and moving things from one um, medium to the other. It's just quick, easy. Got it. It's usually behind the scenes or I already have it set up so the light is already beautiful and I don't need to do much to it. Very simple things. That makes sense. Very low key. And do you use the filters on Instagram or do you use like an, an, an ed, photo editing app on your phone to just kind of tweak them or is it more or less just kind of snap and post? Sometimes I'll use Snapseed, which I find is very handy and has some nice filters to it. But most of the time I'll just post. I'm pretty lazy. <laughs> well, it's good that you've got those insider secret chats to set the shut up nicely to to begin with. That's great. Now, you mentioned mm-hmm. your, your your blog that you've been running for for some time, um, Bittersweet, which features both recipes and craft, like knitting patterns. Um, and also, yeah. you're the author of several books, including, as you've mentioned, My Sweet Vegan, Vegan a la Mode. I love that title. That's great. Uh, vegan Desserts mm. and Easy as Vegan Pie, another one. These are great titles. I, I love these. So I really like how you you've cre- uh, combined your creative skills so tell us a little bit I know you touched on this maybe a little bit earlier just tell us a little bit about how about how those two ventures work together it's pretty funny it all just evolves very organically um I didn't do anything to shape this path I just followed it and got very lucky that it led anywhere the blog came about because I wanted to share all of the crafts I was making and I actually started on craftsy.com which is a crafting forum and I felt like I was clogging up the forums because I was posting so often (laughs) so I took it to my own platform and started the blog and at the same time I was a pretty new vegan and just starting to 
explore things in the kitchen and get comfortable with developing recipes. So that became a craft in and of itself. Eventually, it shifted more to food than crafts. And I became more interested in the photos because it helped share the recipes better. Um, eventually, I made great contacts with the blog because, of course, the online community is wonderful and very supportive. And I met up with a publisher, and she offered me my first cookbook. It literally fell into my lap, and I still cannot believe how lucky I got. Wow. That was through, through blogging, so basically putting yourself out right. there and regular. That's, that's great. That's good for people to hear that, you know, when you, when you do do that and you're doing it particularly consistent, uh, consistently, um, that that actually gets people's attention. You don't know who's looking. So that, that's fantastic. Exactly. Just doing what I do and being passionate about it and wanting to share it, it's gotten me everywhere. Wonderful. And what have been some of the benefits of having the books? You know, every book is like a brand new portfolio that sees hundreds of new eyes. And it keeps you relevant to the conversation. Yeah, that's a really good quote. We should meme that, make a little meme out of it and share it. That's so cool. That's very good. My cookbooks are my best portfolios and honestly, (laughs) more frequently updated than my own online portfolio, which is a bit shameful. Uh, right now I'm working on my fifth cookbook so it keeps me busy nice very nice it's lovely that you can you can yeah combine those I really love what you said about that that it's it's literally an uh an online uh, a portfolio and I guess for for writers as well if you you write a book depending on what you do it's almost like I've heard it called like a a business card like a very comprehensive business card as well so no it's great that you you said that so I know we touched on this a little bit earlier so for people who are you know listening to this and they're really inspired and maybe they're a photographer a writer or they do something else that's quite artistic and creative um, what advice would you give to them if they are looking to start their own creative business such as this I would just say you've got to do it for you you've got to do it no matter how strange or stupid or difficult it seems and you've just got to love it because it's not easy it's not a conventional path that has set hours or steady income and you know the going will get tough and you've got to be ready for it. Got it. Do you find you're having, because we touched on this earlier about how sometimes people devalue creative services. You know, they don't want to pay a lot for a photographer or a writer because they don't really value the skills that, that go into it. Do you find you're having to educate clients about, uh, you know, like people like maybe contact you and say, oh, could you do this job? And yeah, there's no pay, but, you know, you'll get the exposure. Do you have a way of sort of handling those kind of queries and educating people about the fact that, you know, they need to pay for a professional service? Yeah, yeah, I do get that a lot, especially with small businesses because they don't, they're not um, experienced in the whole uh, photography realm and a lot of times it's difficult to work with people who just aren't of the creative skill sets they don't know what goes into a photo shoot they've never been part of that process so you just need to explain how labor intensive it is and what the general timelines are what you are actually doing break down step by step every part of the photo shoot and they will start to value or hopefully they'll start to value what you are doing and how much effort it takes. It's not just a quick snapshot. It's not just throwing food on a table and it looks beautiful. There's so much more that goes into it. Got it. Got it. That's really good advice, actually. Very good advice. Um, so a lot of people say that you know running your own business, whether you're a, you know, a solopreneur or a freelancer or, or running any kind of business, it, um, you've got to have certain qualities in order to stay the course because you're not getting this regular nine-to-five paycheck. Um, what personal qualities would you say uh, a person needs, particularly perhaps a creative, to run their own business in a sustainable way? You definitely need discipline to set your own schedule and to stay busy and to stay active and get work. And, I mean, when you don't have work, you need to make work. So you need to do your own projects, and that's where my blog comes in. Every time I've got a free day, I use that to work on my personal projects or my cookbooks, and that keeps your name out in the field. I mean, it's just – excellent. it comes down to to passion and, you know – practice 
Got it. What about the business side of things? Because I know, and I can certainly relate to this as a creative, like I can't stand doing things like the the books, you know, the accounts, what have you. So, you know, we hire a a bookkeeper. So what about, um, have you had any sort of learning curve in regards to kind of, I guess, the business skills involved in running a business? Yeah. Any tips on that? The business is also very difficult for me because, you know, I am, I am creative. I am not great with math. I am not great. (laughs) <laughs> you know, all those very logical and practical skills. But I know when I need to ask for help. So you, you build your resources and you learn from other people and from other photographers and you ask around how they do things, who they get help from. Always, always ask for help when you feel, you know, out of your league or over your head. There are more people out there. I love- I love that. And I love that you've touched on community a few times during our interview, which is great. You know, whether that's the photography community or the vegan community, um, it is really important. And I think particularly if you're, you know, kind of working on your your own, you know, or you're more of a solopreneur. So Mm -hmm. that's fantastic. So um, tell us then, final question, Hannah, what's what's the what's your if you have one, what's your vision for the long term for yourself and your brand? Hard to say. Um, I basically just go at it one day at a time and every new job is a new exciting path and that's all I can see in that moment. But I just want more. I want more photos. I want to work with more companies. I want to do bigger projects and bigger photos, more books. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with what I'm doing. I can hear it. I can hear your passion coming across. It's, it's fantastic. You've shared some absolutely um, great tips. And as I say, you've made me feel much better knowing that even professional photographers don't necessarily take the best photos with their camera phones. I feel really good now. Yeah, of course. Of course. Oh my gosh, we're just people too. <laughs> but no, you've shared some great tips. Really, really fantastic. Really appreciate you coming on the show, Hannah. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So that was Hannah Kaminsky. You can find out more at hannahkaminsky.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 74. Now for our vegan business news roundup. More Australians are becoming interested in vegan travel and more vegan hotels and accommodations are popping up, according to a report on the Nine Network. Peter Logan, founder of the website VegTrip, which lists vegan, vegetarian and eco-friendly accommodations across the globe, says there's been an explosion of interest in vegan travel by Australians over the past two years, with particular interest in vegan luxury travel and retreats, both within Australia as well as in Japan and Thailand. Nikki Medwell, owner of Australia's first vegan bed and breakfast in Victoria, who is one of the people I interviewed for my book, Vegan Ventures, has also experienced an uptake in bookings over the past year. She's also got more requests for catering for functions, including weddings and birthdays. Interestingly, Medwell says vegans are buying getaways at her B&B as gifts for their meat-eating friends to introduce them to the delights of plant-based living. It's great to see more people embracing vegan travel options. You may remember last week I reported on the expansion of vegan food tours into London, UK. Also, Green Earth Travel celebrates its 20-year anniversary this year. That's 2017 if you're listening in the future. And Vegan Travel is organising the world's first all-vegan ocean cruise this September from London to the Norwegian fjords. It really is an exciting time. Time for this sector. Two neighbours in New York are launching a solution for people who love vegan desserts but have neither the time nor inclination to shop for a load of ingredients and put them all together. Tanya Luna and her neighbour Ali have cooked up Kind Sugar, a vegan dessert mix business. They say their mixes are made with a few simple quality ingredients, take about 5 minutes to make and 30 minutes to bake, and they're all natural and kosher. Luna says, We believe offering scrumptious vegan alternatives to familiar foods is the single most effective way to help people switch their eating habits. 
And to make even more of an impact, the business plans to donate 10% of its profits to animal farm sanctuaries. I love this idea. (laughs) I'm definitely one of those people who doesn't like spending time food shopping or in the kitchen. So this kind of convenient option is perfect for me. The pair are currently running a Kickstarter campaign to raise $6,000 by Monday the 19th of June to get them going. UK discount pharmacy chain Superdrug has launched a vegan makeup line with all products costing just £10 or less, reports The Mirror. The chain is relaunching British beauty brand B, which started in 2013 and includes a full range of skincare, makeup and men's grooming products, plus a range of beauty accessories and makeup brushes. There's also a capsule collection by celebrity makeup artist Cassie Lomas. Sarah Gardner, Superdrug Head of Beauty, said of the line, which is available on the Superdrug website and in selected stores, Animal-derived ingredients are in a multitude of makeup products, and it's not easy to create high-quality cosmetics without compromise. We've worked for almost two years on the new Bee Makeup Collection and cannot wait for it to be revealed to beauty lovers. Fantastic! Things are definitely moving in the right direction when you see a huge chain like this, recognising that more consumers are looking for ethical products. I used to buy most of my makeup and accessories from Superdrug when I was a teenager and in my 20s, so I'm really happy to see them make this move. Finally, an Italian designer has created a vegan leather from wine byproducts, reports the drinks business. Milan-based architect Gian Piero Tessitore founded his company Vigea in January 2016 after working with a specialist team of researchers over the previous two years into how to create an animal-free material made from the byproducts of winemaking. The result is wine leather, and it's made from the leftover solids of winemaking known as pomace or mark, which is made up of the skins, pulp, seeds and stems of the fruit after pressing. Vigea says, Our objective is to satisfy the increasing demand for green and cruelty-free products. Globally, 26 billion litres of wine are produced every year. From this production process, we can derive almost 7 billion kilograms of grape mark to be transformed into a high-value-added raw material and potentially produce 3 billion square metres of wine leather every year. How cool is this? We've got mushroom leather, we've got pineapple leather, and now this. And how great that it uses what would otherwise be a waste material and turns it into stylish, sustainable, cruelty-free vegan leather. Fantastic. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 